So today's reading is from 1 Peter. We're starting in chapter 2, verse 11, through to chapter 3, verse 7. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how, it is, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his, foot, in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So two or three years after I left high school, back in the 80s, um, we had a a reunion. Um, And it was in the school building, so it was a school much like this one. And it was great to catch up with old friends and old teachers and see how people had moved on with their lives. But for me, the highlight came when one of my friends said, hey, let's go up to the science corridor. Because on the first floor of our high school, there was a corridor with all the science labs coming off it. And all the way through school, there'd been an almost obsessive emphasis when we were there that you were not allowed to run 
down the science corridor. So egged on by my friend, about six of us, all now young adults who should have known better, we ran up to the science corridor and we ran up and down it, screeching with glee. Yeah, that'll show them. Now that's a silly, trivial example of no consequence, really. It was fine. But it reveals the nature of our hearts a bit, I think. Whenever we're expected to submit to an authority or to a person, even if we go along with it, even if we agree it's a good idea to go along with them, part of us is wanting to assert ourselves and reject that authority. And as the science corridor showed, there's like a thrill in the very act of rebellion. But in today's passage, Peter's telling us how to show off that we are precious, chosen children of God. How to, in the way that we live, declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And the overall aim is there in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. So pagan is just kind of a catch-all phrase for people who worship something or live for something other than the one true God. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then very specifically, very uncomfortably, the practical pointy end of way of doing this is verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. And as we'll see, he breaks that down into our conduct with public authorities, between slaves and masters, and between husbands and wives. So I think we're up against it this morning. I think there's so much in this passage that really goes against the tide of the culture that we live in, especially Australian culture. I mean, submitting to governments, even rotten ones. Submitting to masters, even cruel ones. Submitting to husbands, even unbelieving ones. And I don't know about you, when I started looking at this passage, I found myself thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, we submit, but there's a whole load of reasons, a whole load of instances where we don't have to submit. And there are some exceptions, and we'll come to that. But that's not the point of the passage, is it? The point is to live lives that show off the gospel, pointing people to Jesus, and that submitting, submission, is a really important way to do that. It's so counter to how we think, but there is help. The one who we're trusting in, the one we are living to point to and glorify, Jesus, we've got his example to remember and to follow. His example of being entirely innocent, yet submitting to suffering unjustly and the glory that achieved. So that's where we're heading. There's an outline. Thanks, Robert. Uh, If you find an outline helpful, uh, credit where it's due. Then such good lives. So we'll break it down into those worldly authorities, slaves and masters. Um, We'll skip a bit and then talk about husbands and wives and then go back to the bit in the middle about Jesus' example. Follow the leader. So first then, Peter wants us to live lives that give credit where it's due. So live lives, lives lived not to please ourselves, not to please others for their sake, but to glorify God. 
So verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. We're foreigners and exiles. So we live in the world, but we don't belong to it. We're aliens. We've only got a temporary visa here. Our ultimate loyalty lies elsewhere with God. So anyone like me who's left the home country has to work out how they're going to live in the place where they end up living that's foreign to them. So do you try and blend in? Do you try to stick out and hold on to everything you brought with you? So, you know, I like to think I blend in now. You can barely tell I wasn't born here, can you? <laughs> but with my accent, I decided I wouldn't try and keep it and I wouldn't try and lose it. Um, but to be honest, for the sake of being understood, because you colonials find it difficult, I do sometimes soften some of the words I say. And, uh, you know, how do we fit in in Australia? Because, I mean, I love the positivity of Australian culture, I love how Australians are quite direct. I miss the diversity of, of the UK. But if being a Christian means that we are Johnny Foreigner, wherever we are, how do we function? Should we be withdraw? Should we be like a monk? Should we be like the odd kid at school that didn't have a TV and wasn't allowed to play, come around to play? Well, Peter does start with what not to do as a foreigner and an alien. He says, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So sinful desires, they're the local custom, if you like. They're the local custom that you, you will live for unless you proactively decide not to. But that's a cultural norm that you don't want to conform to in this foreign land because our sinful desires aren't trying to help us they're waging war against us. As Christians, sin is not our native language anymore. It's not our native language anymore. Sin is not a secretly good thing that God's tried to hide away from us because he's jealous. No, sin's rotten. Sin wants to devour and destroy us. It wants to make us to forget our true identity as precious chosen ones and drag us back into darkness. There's a war on with sin. But hiding away is not the answer. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Among the pagans, not apart from them. So, of course, we mustn't love the world. We mustn't um, treat temporary material things like they're eternal. We mustn't fall into the world's prideful pursuit of pleasure. We are called to be different in the world, really different, but still in and amongst it. And people will say all sorts of rubbish about us because they don't like how not sinning or trying not to sin shines a light on sinfulness, and it's easier to deflect and project onto us. People will say all sorts of rubbish, but still, they'll see God making a difference in your life, and at some level, they'll know it's not all down to you. 
So think of your own testimony. Just let the bikies go past. Thanks, guys. Think about your own testimony. Think of the people that helped you. <laughs> it's good. It's like being at Eclipse or something. Think of your own testimony. Think of people that helped you to know Jesus. And I reckon nearly all of us would say there was something about those people that commended the gospel to us, that made what they were saying seem plausible. Something different about them. So no doubt being amongst things is harder than just staying in a holy huddle away from the world. But we do that because that's what Jesus did for us. He gave up a place in heaven to become one of us, to live amongst us so that we could know God and glorify him. So good lives lived by us will back up the words of the gospel message that we preach. We do still need to use words that, quote, um, preach the gospel and if you must use words... It's a good sentiment, and it's this sentiment, live good lives that commend the gospel. We still need to use words, because the gospel is a message. But the, our good lives, they'll adorn the, mess, the gospel. They'll show off what good news Jesus is. And one day when Jesus returns, us being good foreigners will mean that there are more of us glorifying God, giving credit where it's due. So what do, these good, what do these good lives look like? Well, negatively, we saw abstaining from sinful desire, but positively, submitting to human authorities. So the first area we're looking at is between worldly authorities and Christians. Christians must respect human authorities. So verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So submit for the Lord's sake to human authorities. Why? Well, for one thing, God has put those authorities in place to punish wrong and commend right to prevent chaos, just on a practical level, prevent chaos. And where we see effective government fail, like in Rwanda in the 90s, there are devastating, chaotic consequences as people are left free to express the worst of themselves. So we submit where we can to human authorities because they're part of how God keeps order in the world. And secondly, we submit because this really is a case where actions speak louder than words. Fools will talk rubbish about us, but our godly behavior, our submission, helps to cut through all the nonsense and silence their talk, giving the gospel a better hearing. But, there's always that question there, but surely there's exceptions to this. What if a government or an authority is bad. You know, what about German Christians in the 30s and 40s? In, you know, should they have submitted to the Nazi government? Well, as I read in an article that I just shared in the email, you might have seen it, presumably 
even the Nazis had some authority, used some of their authority for good use, you know, in stopping, um, punish, stopping or punishing civilian murder or theft and theft. So for Christians, and I'm not defending the Nazis anyway, by the way, but so far as stopping or punishing civilian murder and theft, for example, it was right for Christians to submit to them that. When they started committing murder and theft, it was appropriate for Christians to oppose them for the Lord's sake. So in far as we can submit to authorities for God's sake with him as our ultimate authority, then we should. Human authorities, they're there for us, but they don't own us. And so some German Christians, the confessing German church, they did oppose Hitler, and they had this, I think I put this on the slide, Robert, this statement, yeah. Jesus Christ, as he's attested to us in Holy Scripture, is the one word of God whom we have to hear and whom we have to trust and obey in life and death. So in other words, we can only submit to authorities in such a way that is in keeping with the fact that Jesus is our ultimate authority. And the end goal is doing good that silences talk against God. So if authorities ever forbid what God requires or require what God forbids, so if they forbid what God requires or require what God forbids, then some civil disobedience, accepting the consequences of that under their authority, is required. And actually, we find examples of Peter, who's writing these instructions. He did exactly that. In Acts 4 and 5, you can read how Peter went, went against the religious authorities because he had to submit to God's authority. Also, we should factor in that we live in a democracy. So we've got legitimate ways. We're allowed to disrupt, to oppose, to go against ruling authorities. And we can do all that within the law. We can uh, do that within the boundaries of submitting to their authority, even whilst going against them. So for example, my sister, my eldest sister Jane, was a police officer um, and she was policing a protest one time. And this, you know, hippie was giving her a hard time saying, ah, you're, you're here to oppress and silence us, aren't you? And she said, no, I'm here to defend your right to peaceful protest. And that shut him right up. That's good. Okay, so that's all the yeah buts, you know, the caveats, the let-offs. But all that said, all that appropriate stuff in place... Still, the thrust of what Peter is saying here is submit. And Peter, actually, is Peter. He knew better than we do how corrupt and evil religious leaders and Roman governors could be, didn't he? He was there in the thick of it at Jesus' kangaroo court trial. He was around when Pilate's desire for the quiet life meant he abandoned Jesus to crucifixion. And yet here he is, writing in this letter, submit to authorities, and doesn't include all those ifs, buts, but not in this case kind of things. And if you look at Jesus as well, in Matthew 17, 
Peter, again, gets into a conversation with Jesus about paying the temple tax. And Jesus makes it clear and establishes good theological reasons why they shouldn't have to pay it. But then provides money in a miraculous way that proves his theological point, provides the money and tells him to go and pay the temple tax anyway. So you don't have to pay the temple tax, Jesus says, but go and pay it. Why? That we may not cause offense. That we may not cause offense. Was Jesus compromising? Well, yeah, a little bit it was, wasn't he? In his wisdom, Jesus saw that winning hearts was more important in that case than being in the right. Even in democratic, free Australia, we're increasingly going to be at odds with authorities. And our conduct should be to win people for Jesus, not necessarily to win every battle. Because if there aren't already, there's going to be things that the authorities ask us to submit to that really wind us up. But it may still be that the best thing to do is to submit. Not for their sake, not because they're right, but for God's sake. Verse 16. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Uh, There was a song around when I was a teenager that put it like this. Be a slave to God. Only then you'll see the perfect paradox. Jesus sets you free. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. In other words, don't be a jerk. It'd be easy to get on with. Be a good egg. You can be respectful in disagreement. Try to be able to word the other person's point of view, better than they can. Use the freedom that we know to make it look and sound like we aren't desperately trying to win every small battle because we know Jesus wins in the end and everything is going to be all right. To summarize it, good lives that promote Jesus are not characterized by trying to get away with as much as we can but by submitting as much as we can in good conscience. So the next example is between slaves and masters. Uh, Looking at verses 18 to 20. Um, Slaves have to submit to their masters, even bad ones. So verse 18. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Why? Verse 19. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. So slavery here is not the kind of um, slavery we saw in empire building slaves, you know, stealing people from Africa. Slaves, lots of people were slaves, included land managers, tutors and teachers. They were the non-family part of households, so limited rights and freedoms, but legitimate ways of earning a living and staying out of debt. But for all of that, you know, I can make excuses, this slavery wasn't as bad as you think it was, but actually Peter's addressing slaves 
with harsh masters as well as good. And the distinctive call called for in Christian slaves, so I suppose you could translate it these days to us as workers, is to bear up, have patience with unjust suffering. Again, not because the harsh boss deserves our patience, but because our higher concern is reverence for God and seeing him glorified. See, our natural uh, slant is to minimize suffering, to maximize justice, to fight for a fair go, and those are good aims. But the solution is not to get back at harsh, a harsh boss or master by being subversive. It will please God more and promote Jesus better to remain submissive in the face of harshness. There's a godly power to that kind of submission. And the power to live that way comes from looking to the example of Jesus. Where, that's where Peter goes next, but we'll come back to that at the end. I just want to jump ahead to the third sphere of submission between husbands and wives. Uh, looking at chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. So on, on the smaller scale of the home, Christian wives can help convert their unbelieving husbands with how they live. Verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Now, in the context of husbands and wives, when we think of submission or being submissive these days, we tend to think of it meaning being a pushover, uh, being a doormat to somebody who's overbearing. But I hope the other examples of submission that we've looked at um, have shown that biblical submission is just appropriately relating to someone else's role. And we submit to people all the time, don't we, without it demeaning us in any way. So earlier on, we submitted to Kirsty and Ben, singing the same words to the same tune. Well, some of us are more submissive than others. but, um, uh, But none of us felt demeaned by submitting to their leadership. When the Bible talks about wives submitting to husbands here and in other passages, it's always in the context of submitting to a husband's serving, loving care. So let's be clear, there's nothing here to support husbands being overbearing, manipulative, or even violent. Nothing here to support that. But even the idea that a husband has a role that is to be submitted to can sound totally alien and unreasonable to us, can't it? Like it's almost inviting abuse. And that's because we're appropriately rejecting the abuse of power. But the Bible maintains that a husband's authority used right, so putting his wife's needs first, loving her more than he loves himself, is a good thing. And is to be submitted to. And in case this isn't hard enough for our modern ears to hear, there's verse 7 as well. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. (laughs) Weaker partner, it's a bit rude, isn't it? 
Well, what Peter is saying, though, is basically saying, husbands, don't be an idiot. You know, take into account that your wife is different. She's probably physically weaker, usually, and in many ways at a disadvantage compared to you. So recognize that and take that into account as you think about how before God, you are equal. You are equal heirs. You're both precious children. You're both free. So respect her as such. Back to wives. In in the specific situation of a Christian woman married to an unbeliever, you are to commend the gospel to your husband in your submission to him. Working on making how you live beautiful. So verse 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So that's not a ban on trying to look nice and wearing good things. It's not a command to be a dowdy frump. And a gentle and quiet spirit doesn't mean be a pushover. Rather, it means, like all of us are, to be with authorities. It means just don't always be in conflict. Don't always, don't always try to win every battle, even if you're in the right. Be on the same team as your husband, even though your heart belongs to Jesus and his doesn't. Because God can use that to win him over. And when it's hard, as I'm sure it must be, know that ultimately, like in the other examples of submission, you're doing it for God, and it's of great worth in his sight. So in all of this trying to live good lives, submitting to authorities, to bosses, to husbands and wives, we do it in the strength of following the example of Jesus. We follow the leader. So going back to verses 21 to 25. Verse 21, we're called to endure unjust suffering because this is the example, and the word is like a template or a stencil, like a dressmaker's pattern. This is the example Jesus left for us to follow, the footsteps to follow him in ourselves. Verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He's completely innocent. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't retaliate because he trusted in God to bring justice and glory out of the situation. And we can endure unjust suffering, knowing that God will, in the end, deliver justice. We don't have to come out swinging at every slight, every loss of entitlement, every sneer or disadvantage, because we know that in the end, everything will be all right in Jesus, and God will sort it all out justly. But even those who reject Jesus are still talking about him today. Because our submission in the face of unjust suffering is powerful. More powerful 
than hours of persuasive words and logic. We need persuasive words and logic, but there's a power in submitting and enduring unjust suffering. So we can endure following Jesus' example, and we can endure knowing his purpose. See, Jesus didn't just suffer for the sake of it. He did it for a purpose. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus suffered and died to pay the price for our sins so that our lives don't need to be in slavery to sin anymore. So that we can live with new purpose for him, the shepherd of our souls. Jesus' ultimate submission brought us the ultimate good. And our submission will result in a good life that points others to Jesus. So to finish, if we look at life from a worldly point of view, with ourselves at the center of it, as the point of it, well, of course, we'll rail against submitting to anything unless we can see the immediate benefit for us. But Christ is our king, and his example is that glory to God comes not through assertion, assertion, but through humility. That what looks like losing is, in eternal terms, as God sees it, very much winning. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he, although the one through who and for who everything was made, he submitted to that unjust suffering to rescue us, to bring you glory, trusting in the promise of your justice. So please help us to do that. Please um, help us to see where we're not submitting and we should be. Please help us to live such good lives that more people will glorify you on the day you visit us. Amen.